Hey, Mark here, and I'm calling in before today's episode with a little favour to ask, if I may, please. You see, today I'm changing the format of the Podcast Accelerator. I'm trialling a longer form deep dive episode, real specific actionable takeaways, and introducing my recommended podcast tool of the week. Now, the format is ever so slightly different. It is a little bit longer, and during this episode, which is a huge, deep dive, massive piece of free podcast education. During this episode, I'm going to break off for about 90 seconds to recommend a podcasting tool that I think will help you. And at the end, stick around because there's a new section at the end, which is three actionable takeaways that you can implement today based on today's deep dive. So let me know what you think of this new format, please. That's the favour that I'm asking. You can do that on Twitter, at Mr. Asquith. And you can get the written version of this over on my Twitter profile as well. Once again, that's at Mr. Asquith. And enjoy this episode of the Podcast Accelerator. Apple is building something, or maybe some things, in podcasting. Of that, I have no doubt. But what... Well, I've spent a while collating my thoughts into a big deep dive analysis. And I'm going to read that deep dive analysis for you right here on today's Podcast Accelerator. I'm Mark Asquith, CEO and co-founder of Rebel Base Media, where we make technology for podcasters, including Captivate.fm, the world's only growth-oriented podcast host, where you can host multiple shows and take advantage of industry-leading podcast hosting for seven days completely free at Captivate.fm. Now, this is a big, big episode. It will probably take me about 35 minutes to get through this post. And this is a blog post that I've put out over on the rebelbasemedia.io website. And it's a complete rundown, a bit of a background and an analysis of what I think Apple could do in podcasting and some of the things that I think they won't do in podcasting. It's something that I've been putting my thoughts together on for a long, long time. So look, I've put the link to the blog post in the show notes. So whatever device you're listening on, if you want to go and read this instead, or if you want to share the link to someone that you think would benefit from it, this is up as a blog post on the Rebel Base Media site as well. Okay. And like I said, this link is in the show notes. Now, if you're joining me here on the audio version of this, I need to tell you that I've been planning and considering this opinion piece for about nine months now, but wanted to fully collect my thoughts and let a few of the players move their podcast industry chess piece a little further before I fully rounded out my ideas. I've got absolutely no inside information on anything that I write about here. It's just my opinion based on working every single day in the podcasting industry. So before we get to that, we're going to go deep into what Apple may or may not be building in the podcasting industry. But before I do that, a big shout out to the team at Aweber, who of course sponsor the Podcast Accelerator. I choose Aweber for my email marketing every single day. They help me to build my business. They help me to to build relationships with you, the ever-present listener. And they do that with style. They do it with respect and the values that I hold dear as a business owner. So please go ahead and check out Aweber for your own podcast email marketing needs. And you can get 30 days free at markasquith.com forward slash Aweber. Now, I am an unabashed 
Apple fanboy. Ever since my dad booked the trend in his electrical business and bought an Apple Macintosh back in the early 90s, I've been absolutely fascinated. Looking back at the charmingly dated information technology classes in school later that decade, I was encouraged to explore the Mac a little further and as I kind of take stock of my college years where those, remember those fun little translucent Macs? They used to adorn the music tech labs ready for me to fire some tunes into Cubase via an old school Roland keyboard. I can truly say that I've been delighted by Apple's eye for design and usability ever since. Of course, I had no idea why Apple appealed to me then. This stuff was just really, really cool. And I think as I grow older, and in particular as I started my adventures in business back in 2005, I became very enamored to Steve Jobs and his distinctly unique leadership of Apple, along with taking a very keen interest in how he trusted his gut, managed to create new categories of products, and how when entering a new industry, he would very often follow that gut and seemingly his unwavering vision to often transform the industry that he was playing in at the time. I mean, animation, music, video consumption, computing, mobile technology, these are all industries that have been radically disrupted at some point by Apple and, of course, by Steve Jobs. And love him or loathe him, it's it's hard to deny. In fact, it's impossible to deny the impact that Steve Jobs had on the world in innumerable ways. There are far more names at Apple that deserve credit too, of course, from the public-facing tech world celebs such as current CEO Tim Cook and designer Johnny Ive through to the engineers, designers, marketers, agencies, manufacturers and more that helped to turn Apple into the global force that it is today. But since its inception, Apple has done things Apple's way. And again, whether you love it or whether you loathe it, that will undoubtedly ever change. But there's one thing that has been a constant throughout Apple's entire life cycle. Brand. Steve Jobs personified the very, very essence of the Apple brand through his well-documented attention to every minor detail from product to marketing. Apple is a brand that is rooted, it's rooted in disruption, simplicity, user experience and completely intuitive products that just work. And in fact, if you look back through history, if we take time to look back through the decades, it's the most obvious reason that Steve Jobs flat out refused to offer Apple's hardware to third-party operating systems and why the company has always adopted a closed technology ecosystem. The experience to the user matters and Apple wants to control every single facet of that experience. Sure, (laughs) the financial remuneration that comes with controlling an ecosystem is pretty attractive too, but that's not as nice for the PR team, is it? And so brand and ecosystem are the two lines of thought that brought me here today and specifically to Apple Podcasts. Because right now, Apple is being outbranded in podcasting. But you know what? I'm not sure that this is by accident and nor do I believe that this is due to apathy either. Unlike many people, I don't believe that this is due to Apple not caring. I've written about this before, but we should remember for one moment that Apple provides much of the core infrastructure that allows podcasting to run free. Heck, pod, the word pod or the prefix pod, however you use it, is Apple through and through. And whilst I also believe that Apple's core API, Apple's core podcasting API, poses a little bit of a risk to the industry, I only believe that it would become a risk if Apple ever started charging for it, which they won't. 
In fact, I wrote a piece about this in 2019, specifically discussing the fact that Apple's API drives many of the platforms that we know and love in podcasts. And should they ever begin charging for it, that risk would be realized. Of course, that thought exercise that I put out in 2019 was lambasted. (laughs) Completely lambasted. And next, I was somewhat condescendingly reminded as if I'd forgotten by, you know, some people in the podcasting industry, as if I'd forgotten that other companies have very similar stocks of podcast show data that could, in fact, be accessed via an API to provide a similar service to that that Apple provides for free. But of course, this service from other people would come at a cost. The irony in those comments, those little cheeky condescending remarks that I got, I believe the irony in those was lost on them, but only served to really highlight my point. The point that I'm making here is that Apple has let the podcasting space breathe and grow, whether on purpose or through inaction, because honestly, as a company, it has had absolutely no major interest in focusing too much commercial energy on it, because it just wasn't an industry that could make it any money. Now, that's not a criticism. It's an observation based on the sheer amount of new companies now hitting the podcasting space. They aren't doing it to be nice. They're doing it to make money. And just like them, Apple is a business. Apple is, of course, a business. But the landscape in podcasting has changed dramatically, not only over the last 15 years, but over the last four. Prior to that, Anchor was still the awkward cousin. Serial was only a few weeks old, yet taking the podcasting scene by storm. Branded content wasn't anywhere near as common as it is now. And the industry absolutely wasn't producing anywhere near the one billion in projected revenue that is, go- that is going to be created in the space during 2020 or 2021, depending who you read. In short, the podcasting industry was our industry and we felt like it was big business. We were making a living from it and we were seeing growth every single year, but it wasn't an industry, a genuine industry yet. That was to come. And so Apple can probably be forgiven for sitting back and watching, hopefully taking stock of where the puck would be and not where it was back then. There was no need to do anything for a brand like Apple, a brand that averaged 1 billion in sales per day during the 2019 holiday season. It would have been like Oprah Winfrey deciding to enhance her revenue streams by getting a paper round. Now, I know that's a little flippant, but it highlights the point. And to quote Bob Dylan, the times, well, the times, they are changing. In fact, they changed in podcasting when Spotify entered the game. And that, I'm afraid... That is when Apple began to be outbranded. With its presumable KPI of time spent in app and its land grab for share of the audio market, Spotify dove into the podcasting space with a one-two punch of acquisitions, snapping up Gimlet Media and Anchor, followed later by Parcast, and very recently, The Ringer. And initially, many people began to wonder why, but the signs were clear. After all, Spotify has got to pay its artists for music, so a move to acquire a team that can create stellar original audio content was hardly a surprise. Plus, podcast creators want and need the eyes and ears that Spotify's distribution platform can bring to their content. And nor was the acquisition of Anchor's tech stack a surprise either. It's a tech stack that can be broadly broken down actually into two constituent parts, podcast creation and hosting, and of course, ad technology. And so with the rollout, 
very recently, of Spotify's ad insertion technology. It's very easy to assume that the company's acquisition of Anchor was not actually thanks to VC pressure, but that perhaps it was strategically considered in order to accelerate Spotify's position as a major network player and to cement the notion that Spotify is able to handle major ad transactions in the podcasting space. After all, why would you build something when you can buy it? As for Anchor's creation tech and its podcast hosting tech, well, you know, I think we'll see where that ends up. I've got absolutely no doubt at all that we're going to see how that shakes out. But for now, it's just business as usual for Anchor. Now, moving past the ad tech, Spotify has put a lot of focus not only on trying to encourage podcast listeners to listen more, but also on educating non-podcast listeners that podcasting actually exists and that they should give it a whirl. Both of these things are core components of the podcast discoverability triangle that I wrote about also in 2019 that I talk at various events around the world on. Spotify is all in on podcasting because it fits their strategic vision of being the number one, the number one source of on-demand audio in the world. That's very fancy of them, but that seems to be their goal. And the thing is, Spotify is... It's a fairly young brand and a brand that's fresh out of the startup boom with its bold messaging and outstanding advertising campaigns. Campaigns that, to be fair, Apple does match punch for punch in quality and delivery across other parts of its business. But Spotify seems to understand its podcasting audience better than Apple does right now. After all, Spotify is the little punchy startup that could. And frankly, it's the little startup that has. Spotify seems to listen to the user data more. And as more time progresses, matching its brand approach and positioning very, very, very closely with the types of podcasts that the Spotify listener chooses. And so we arrive back at my point in the podcasting space. This is absolutely where Apple is bringing out branded right now. Not only when it comes to understanding listeners, but in acting to help podcasters to understand themselves more. In fact, the Spotify podcaster dashboard, for example, it's just nicer. It is simply nicer than anything that Apple has put out. And the Spotify year-end wrap-up for podcast creators and for podcast listeners was a stroke of social marketing genius. But again, I think that Apple is okay with this. For now. Let's look backwards in order to add a little bit of context to this. Apple, whilst they invent much, tends to do so in areas that have potential, but then at the time, struggle to find product market fit. The iPhone revolutionised the second screen experience and created the app industry. It didn't invent phone calls, text messaging, or mobile internet. The iPad didn't invent the category of tablet computing. It just made us really want a tablet. And hell, that was after the Newton. The iPod wasn't the first MP3 player, but the marketing was stunning. And AirPods weren't the first wireless headphones, but good Lord, they are cool. And the AirPod Pros are just unreal. But we can go even further than this. A quick glance at an article, which if you do a quick Google search for this, the article entitled 101 Things That Android Phones Had Before the iPhone, that article is going to leave you surprised by at least one or two items. I've got absolutely no doubt. It's a fascinating read, and it's very easy to look at Apple as simply taking what already works and implementing it to catch up. But when you really look at it, that isn't what Apple does. No, what Apple does is let others test the market. 
Apple lets other companies do much of their research for them. Apple lets companies educate the market on their book, and then Apple looks and listens before launching something that takes what already exists and turns it into something that is easier to use, often more fun to use, and that they brand to their hilt with their name-everything approach before creating a huge launch buzz and treating every tiny detail as a game-changing experience. And based on the article, 101 things that Android phones had before the iPhone, the average time between Android receiving a feature and Apple rolling out the same seems to be, by my iMaths granted, between 12 and 18 months. So if we follow this through to the logical conclusion, let's ask the question, has Apple done something similar in podcasting? Well, I think we're about to find out. You see, 2020, I believe, has plenty in store for the podcasting space. And the Apple team, I truly believe, will not be left out. After all, we know that Apple is heavily recruiting within its podcasting teams, with recent postings seeking out a head of partner relations for Apple Podcasts, a podcast server engineer, a software engineer for Apple Podcasts, a product designer for Apple Podcasts, business planning for Apple Podcasts, an iOS engineer for Apple Podcasts, and of course, a product manager for Apple Podcasts in the personalization sector. Those are courtesy, by the way, of podjobs.net and the jobs.apple.com site. But if we distill those positions down to two main assumptions, something very real and something very obvious comes to fruition. Apple is making new more user-centric podcast software, and is looking to work with even more creators to, in turn, drive the user base up. And so I've been pondering for a while about what the next best step is for Apple Podcasts. And despite having absolutely no inside knowledge on this, I've been looking at it through the lens of Apple approaching things as they typically do, and also the potential growth of the on-demand audio industry over the next decade. But more than that, I've been considering Apple's recent shift away from being just a hardware and software company and looking at the shift to monthly recurring revenue models. You see, for the longest time, the mainstay of Apple's business has been hardware. Sure, they make decent software to insertion certain niches, but this has usually been packaged with the hardware into one marketable package. But if we look at the developments over the last few years in Apple Music, Apple TV, Apple Arcade, it's very, very clear that time people into an ecosystem continues to be Apple's play, but that the modern general market is now way more receptive to the kinds of subscriptions that were seen through those kinds of services. And coincidentally, or I don't know, perhaps not, we're seeing the adoption or the recognition of podcasting as a consumption option for more and more people every year, according to the people, the amazing people like Tom Webster and his Edison research team, we're seeing that people want to consume audio more and more and more. In fact, in 2019's podcast consumer report, it was reported that 70% of Americans aged 12 plus are now familiar with podcasting, and that number will likely only see rise during 2020 on beyond. The market has been educated. Enter Apple. Sorry, maybe that's re-enter Apple, actually. that Perhaps that's more apt. You see, the reason I mention podcasting's growth is that with growth comes the flood of money. 
Recently, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding the newly minted The Podcast Academy and its Golden Mic Awards that were announced at Podcast Movement Evolutions in Los Angeles recently. I don't want to discuss that in depth here. It's not for me to discuss right here. But I was in the room for it, and I was in the corridors afterwards. And one of the contentious points raised is that big business podcasting could bring with it the notion of gatekeepers, controllers of the industry who may not quite be as altruistic as some of us in the podcasting industry would like it. Now, if we look up the word gatekeeper, we're presented with the following definition. A person or thing that controls access to something. And whilst RSS feeds are open, accessible and usable by anyone with access to the internet, podcasting apps that take those feeds and wrap an experience around them so that non-techies can enjoy the contents of the feed are really the gatekeepers of the industry, whether they like it or not. And the biggest podcast app for the last decade has been maintained and developed by Apple. That's right, Apple. The de facto gatekeepers of the podcasting industry and the gatekeepers that, whilst at times have been a little slow to give podcasters what they want, have let podcasting simply be without exercising any of the power that the sheer mass of Apple podcast users automatically grants them. So what's next for Apple Podcasts? Well, I've got a range of thoughts on this, so I decided to break it all down into segments, along with specifics around why I think Apple could or should do something and why I think Apple couldn't or shouldn't do something. So let's dig in. What's next for Apple Podcasts? First, I think we need to discuss the listener ecosystem, payment processing and creator monetization. So first, let's discuss ecosystem. You see, Apple is splitting out app offerings when Spotify is consolidating its app offering. So what we're talking about here is that all audio experience is inside one Spotify app. And very shortly after Spotify rolled in podcasting to its main music app, Apple did the exact opposite. It retired iTunes and did the exact The exact 180, splitting out Apple Music and Apple Podcasts and then introducing the Apple TV software. This is interesting to me for a number of reasons. As I mentioned earlier, I think that Spotify likely has a KPI, a key performance indicator, that maps to time spent in app per user. And the introduction of cross-promotional playlists that mix music and podcasts together speaks to that notion. But there's no way for Spotify to increase my lifetime value to them as a customer. I mean, outside of the mass rollout of ads and using podcast creators to drive revenue in a way that generally pisses smaller creators off, Spotify really only has one bite at the cherry right now when it comes to monetizing me as a customer. You see, my Spotify premium subscription is quite literally the only thing that I pay them for. And sure, they'll maybe add microtransactions to the platform at some point, but this is where Apple has the edge. And if the team acts quickly on it, they can really, really do something. You see, not only could they allow me as a podcast creator to offer chargeable inbuilt bonus content via their snazzy bonus content type tag, which was introduced in 2017, and something I've long posited would be used to offer microtransactions, but if they wanted to, they could even charge some listeners a subscription fee each month for premium podcasts, which, regardless of your thoughts on them, are a valid business model as the industry grows up. That means that Apple, the business, has a way of generating multiple recurring revenue streams from me each month via Apple Podcasts, Apple TV, Apple Arcade, Apple Music. Oh, and guess what? Apple already has the model for how to do revenue shares. 
the App Store, Apple Books, Apple Music, Apple TV, mapping out similar deals for creators that give listeners a way to support their favourite shows directly in the Apple Podcasts app would go a long, long way to turning the brand tide in Apple's favour. Does their cut of that profit and that revenue to creators, does that cut equate to more than Patreon? Of course it does. But does anyone else doing that in podcasting have the sheer number of app users? No. And for Apple, this is a pretty easy product to build out as well, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Having said that, if I was working with an Apple, I would also make a very strong business case that juxtaposed first mover advantage in creator support against the extremely low return on investment from the required feature set that, that we would need to build to do this. After all, listener support is still fairly nascent in the industry. And although this is one possible future of the indie creator space, it's not ad dollar level. It's not the billion, and it won't be for a very, very long time, if ever. So is 30% of that listener revenue enough to build a business case upon, or does Apple develop that feature purely to reposition the brand in podcasting? Okay, let's move on to the next, the next potential development, an Apple Podcasts Android app. Did you know that Apple Music, you can search for it, you can find for it, and you can install it, in the Google Play Store. Do you know why? Because it fits Apple's business model. And as podcasters, we know discoverability is a huge problem and that podcasting was massively aided by the inclusion of Apple Podcasts app as a default in the iOS operating system. However, Android does still pose a problem for podcasters and listeners alike. Sure, there are some outstanding apps that work on Android, but outside of Spotify, there's no real heavy-hitting podcast brand that has got a recognisable app within the Google Play Store. And the usual reasons positing that Apple wouldn't do this, wouldn't create an Apple podcast Android app, don't necessarily apply anymore. Because like we've said, Apple isn't averse to working with other ecosystems as much as it used to be. It can't be with the shift to a subscription model for many of its services. So Apple releasing a podcast app on Android whilst unpalatable for some, may actually be fairly easy for them to put together. It's not a huge, gigantic piece of development for Apple. And the job listings mentioned earlier point to something happening in this space. And it's a real strong way of them growing market share and bringing a positive podcasting presence to Android. But I think the play is bigger than that. Which brings me on to my next product, my next piece of redevelopment that I think Apple will probably dig into, which is, of course, a redesigned Apple Podcasts app for all devices, iOS included. Podcast listeners are becoming a little bit more picky these days, aren't they, when it comes to their apps of choice? The bottom line is, all it comes down to is experience. For the privacy savvy, for example, Overcast is the platform of choice. Now, sadly and somewhat surprisingly for a company that is known for its experiential design, Apple's podcast app on the iOS platform isn't the finest example of a podcasting app that puts the listener first, nor is it indeed the finest example of highly considered user experience work. But it's fair to say that Apple Podcasts, they're working on on an iOS app. I think that's 100% certified, and I think it's coming fairly soon especially given the job roles, again, that Apple has been recruited for in the podcasting team. And I've got absolutely no doubt that this new Apple Podcast app will be well-received if they get it right. Now, I'm putting the word right into air quotes 
Because right is extremely subjective. And the second the Twitterverse doesn't like something, well, everyone with an internet connection somehow has got 10 years of experience in user interface design. However, I would urge Apple to work proactively with the hosting companies like us here at Captivate and the plethora of others out there before releasing and before even building UX flows and user interface prototypes for the new Apple Podcasts app. That way we can all work together on what listeners can benefit from, not just for now, but in the future too. Why is this important? Well, not only because hosting companies like us and our peers are the ones driving RSS innovations forward, but because from the perspective of a listener, Spotify is crushing it with their app. Regardless of whether you like your music in podcasts in one place or whether you like them split out into their own apps. Personally, I don't care as long as each is given the right care and attention. It's hard to argue that Spotify's most recent updates aren't a huge step forward for podcasting within its own user experience. And right now, Apple Podcasts has been massively outbranded in this area. As an example, Spotify really seems to have looked at the data on its users and integrated sharing options that match their users' demographics and behavior. For example, the ability to share an episode to an Instagram story. It purely matches their demographic. And please do not bet that Spotify is finished in this area either. I expect much more shareability of audio from Spotify in the podcasting space over the next year as it tries to grab new podcast listeners and pull them into the Spotify ecosystem first. And with this comes a very real chance that unless Apple not only keeps up here, but actually goes all in and tries to leapfrog Spotify in innovation with the Apple Podcasts app, People new to consuming podcasts may never even touch an Apple app to listen to a podcast. Wouldn't that be curious? But what about Podcast Connect? What about that? Are we going to see innovations there? Well, this is my next prediction. If Spotify is integrating with sharing tools like Instagram Stories, for example, isn't it only a matter of time before we start to see data on how many listeners shared our episodes across the various social apps? As one piece of a bigger picture, that kind of data is useful to a podcaster and Spotify's podcaster dashboard already gives a fair amount of information to creators right now, with even more to come as I anticipate. But to be fair, the data in Apple Podcasts Connect is fine too, kind of, showing listener drop-offs for listens in the Apple apps and so on, but we know that Apple has got more data that it could be presenting to us in a really quality dashboard. Integrating share data from the Apple Podcasts ecosystem plus, for example, the number of subscribers in that ecosystem would be great, would be a great, great start to things and would make many a podcaster happy. And the point here is again for Apple to get ahead of this. Apple right now shouldn't be looking at catching up. You see, they're already being beat up upon for being quote unquote behind by many podcasters. So for my money, Apple should be slowing down a little bit and talking to as many podcasters as possible. Maybe even holding off on any Podcast Connect updates until they're confident that they can design a product that innovates. And I don't mean just catches up. I mean genuinely innovates in this space. Understanding, for example, what data stories can be crafted, designed and delivered to a podcast is something that Podcast Connect could really deliver upon, much like Spotify's end of year wrap. And given the market share and the charts that Apple possess, these are things that could be way more immersive, interesting and ultimately useful to the creator. Will this happen? Uh, 
Apple Podcasts will get a, an update via Apple Podcasts Connect. Apple Podcasts Connect is absolutely getting an update at some point within the next 12 to 18 months. Of that, I'm, I'm pretty confident. But the real question is how far Apple is willing to innovate and how much they're willing to give creators when they do update the Podcast Connect platform. A curious step indeed that Apple could explore in this space is helping to refine metrics across the whole industry by being a little more open with their data. And whilst I don't see the need for Apple to work any more closely with bodies such as the IAB, that'd be too big a voice in the space. Beginning to work with hosting platforms like a Captivate on passing data through to them would be a huge leap forward in helping to understand genuine listener behaviour in an anonymous manner. For Podcast Connect, let's be honest, Apple, a reskin is not enough. Podcast Connect has got to change the game for a creator. And knowing that the people at Apple seem to want to put the creators first, because that's what the people at Apple genuinely seem to want to do. The people at Apple are fantastic, and they seem to genuinely care about the creator. So I do think there's some hope here. And as a li- honestly, as a little, as a little bit of a pointer, a little bit of banter, I'd maybe consider changing the name. It's not really sexy, is it? Podcast Connect. Spotify has its Spotify Podcaster dashboard. Google has Google Podcast Publisher tools. I mean, I don't know, go with something like the Podcast Creator Console or something that does what it says on the tin. So, on to my next thought exercise. Apple Ad Tech. Apple Ad Tech. I Ad. Anyone remember that? Apple did do Ad Tech. Apple is not new to ad tech, but Apple also seemingly respects privacy within its brand values. Hence the ability to now sign up to Apple integrated logins using a spoofed email address generated by Apple so that we can keep our data personal. Podcasting's privacy discussions have actually only just begun too. When we really dig into that, Privacy and podcasting, we've only really just got started with. And as companies like our Captivate brand continue to add our own voices and values to the privacy mix with things like our full transparency mode and our listener privacy policies, things that actually had a big influence on things like the PRX Privacy Symposium, you know, these were big influential factors bringing the conversation to the table. It's very clear that privacy is a hot topic in the industry right now. And there is a lot of fear mongering about privacy in certain corners of the podcasting space. Although from GDPR and CCPA concerns to more and more RSS prefix led aggregation services that collect data and seem to spring up at a rate of knots. That fear-mongering will continue. But despite that, podcasting has to shake itself and see where it lands as an industry on privacy. And whilst Apple could no doubt bring fantastic ad tech to the podcasting space, honestly, it won't. It's the wrong move. It would put Apple in the sights of everyone who either wants podcasting to remain ad-free or who believes that privacy is a risk to listeners right now. Apple doesn't need that. Okay, Apple as a brand has got some work to do and this is the wrong move. So Apple, as much as I've heard it thrown around in conversation, Apple will not, in my view, move into the ad tech space. But privacy in podcasting will shake out. Apple just right now has got no need to add fuel to that fire for what would amount, honestly, to absolutely no return for them. Okay, the other big thing that I've heard banded about a heck of a lot is Apple exclusive podcasts. Will Apple develop exclusive podcasts? Now, I've seen this thrown around in conversation a little bit right now. I don't think so. 
I don't think Apple will move into Apple-exclusive podcasts, either in a paid-for manner, like Luminary, you know, the monthly recurring revenue premium podcast subscription, or a land-grab manner, like Spotify is doing. Why? (laughs) Well, for Apple to generate $1 billion, it takes 1.4 days. That's the entire ad revenue of the podcasting industry this year, generated every 1.4 days for Apple. Apple doesn't need to do it. And so a pay-to-listen monthly subscription model just doesn't make any financial sense for Apple, nor does an exclusive content strategy that relies on ad sales. What is the point? The industry just isn't big enough. And when you look at the growth of companies such as Wondery, you understand the sheer scale of investment and work required to create a show that is not only of the very best quality, but that performs financially. And even then, Wondery only touches content that it knows it can sell. Otherwise, what's the point? Apple just doesn't need to create audio IP that it can then license to TV or movie studios. That's where the cash is, and it's why big podcast networks create shows that can be optioned. Apple needs to do it the other way around, as it is doing. Use the podcasting ecosystem to supplement their TV subscriptions. Putting out content that is completely designed to support their TV shows via podcasts is an entirely different strategy, and that is what they're doing. That strategy breeds stickiness in their TV subscriptions and gives the viewer or prospective viewers something to enjoy and be supplemented with outside of the TV experience. Putting out podcast content that is completely designed to support their TV shows is an entirely different strategy, and it's a strategy that they are already employing. Breed stickiness into their TV subscriptions and give the viewer or the prospective viewer something to enjoy and be supplemented with outside of the TV experience so that they continue to reside within the mythology created by the TV show, and thus the encouragement is there for the viewer to continue to come back and pay for the TV service month on month. It's a smart move, but Apple isn't the first company to do this and it won't be the last. But Apple won't do, won't do exclusive content. Next up, a prediction on Apple Podcasts education. You see, Spotify is doing a great job of targeting their advertising and marketing at the podcast discoverability triangle podcast marketing concept that I wrote about in 2019. Specifically, they're educating podcast listeners on new shows, albeit with plenty of room to do more on that. And they're educating their music audience on the fact that podcasts even exist. And as I mentioned earlier, they're making it easier for us to share what resonates with us to the platforms that we actually use. Ergo, Instagram stories is a real strong place to share your podcast. Recently, Spotify also released the Gimlet Academy series, which is aimed at showing podcasters exactly what it takes to produce a Gimlet-level show. And in short, Spotify realises that in order for the market to grow, education has to be delivered to all concerned parties, from creators to listeners alike. But Apple has got a fair start in this area as well. You see, they run their Apple podcast marketing suite, which, although very high level, is really well executed and pretty helpful. But there's more that Apple can do and should do in this space. Staying on top, for example, of relevant data-driven information is a great, great start. Case in point, advice in their podcast marketing literature, this is directly from Apple, tells a podcaster to close their show with a link and a call to action in their show. When I'd be willing to bet that the data that Apple themselves hold shows that this is probably the worst place 
to put a link or a call to action because listeners tail off towards the end. There's a real opportunity here to tie their podcast marketing education into data derived from Apple Podcasts Connect or whatever cool name they give it, like the Podcast Creator Console, you're welcome. In order to inform people, they could use this data from Apple Podcasts to connect to inform podcasters more specifically on what the trends are in a podcasting consumption right now, as of now. Even without giving specific show data, they've got the ability to link the advice that they give to useful data that they possess as of right now. Hey, for example, put your links in before this percentage of your show has been listened to because we see a general trending tail off after X percent of listening. How useful would that be? Now, I could see Apple continually updating their podcast marketing suite, and I can see them doing that anyway, but I like to see them make it easier to find the tools that they provide, such as their link generation tools, their banners and so on. I'd love to see that become easier for them to put at the forefront, to make it easier for creators like you and me to find these things, not bury it away somewhere, but also tie that together with that data-driven approach. Will they go so far as to do the latter? I'd like to think so, but I don't see it being something they do quickly. You see, for me to raise too many support questions and they'd need to justify the findings, which for a company without a big financial stake in the industry right now, it might just be too much resource to throw at it. But <laughs> let's go crazy. Whilst we're throwing fantastically, fantastically thought out and just wild ideas around, why not? Why not go one step further and open a creator fund? Apple, why not open a creator fund that helps people who need to share their voice to actually do so? Now, this is not a fund like the other funds out there that exist to find the next podcasting big star or to look for a little return investment. But but perhaps this fund for someone like a, a brand like Apple with the cash reserves that it's got and the brand challenge that it's got, this fund could be something a little more altruistic that will help people who feel underrepresented to find the representation that they so very much deserve using a medium such as podcasting that is easily accessible and all so personal. Wouldn't it also be fun to see regular how to start a podcast workshops in Apple stores too? Maybe even some podcast recording studios in the stores. Hell, I mean, you know, Staples can do it, guys. (laughs) Now it's doubtful, you know. I realise it's doubtful that they'll do that. And one big reason for that, one big reason that the last part of that idea, the recording studio part, is such a challenge for them, is that Apple probably has, if they did that, a software problem. Let's dig into now whether or not Apple podcast creation software is something that we can expect. Because Anchor must have really bloody hurt. Once the darling of Apple's app store and a podcast creation marketing angel to Apple, Anchor must have come as a bit of a a bit of a shock. It must have become a bit of a pariah at Apple since the surprise purchase by Spotify. But would Apple do anything similar in the space to replace that? Well, there are arguments for and arguments against Apple creating uh, a creation and a, and a distribution tool. First, Apple runs and maintains GarageBand and Logic Pro, two audio editing tools that could very easily integrate with a hosting platform like a Captivate or any of the others out there. And of course, Apple could easily 
do something with their voice recording technology to make it easy to record across the across the internet. I've got absolutely no doubt about that. And do you know what? Compared to designing and building a new iPhone, <laughs> it's not a huge job, is it? But what's the point? Where do we, if we are Apple, where do we make our money if we build a creation tool for podcasts as well? If I'm in business development at Apple, it's the first question I ask. And if there's barely any money to be made in podcasting, because one, we don't need the vast library of creator content that Anchor's got on its books, nor are we interested in ad tech or ad revenue via podcasting right now, then why create some problems? And the major problems, frankly, that would come with serving a podcasting audience that will shout loudly if something isn't quite right. The only reason to build or acquire the component pieces of a creation, hosting and distribution platform like this would be to position Apple in podcasting and get ahead of where the industry growth comes from over the next decade. This would purely be a brand play, a complete positioning tool and a repositioning to bring Apple back to the head of podcasting's ecosystem. And that is the only reason to even consider this from Apple's perspective. And thinking bigger, actually, this is a pretty strong way for Apple to own podcasting by giving something away for free that gets people started easily. It's why Anchor did so well and why many in the podcasting business hated it to the point where many continue to hate Anchor. In my view, anything that gets people started quickly and easy and that gives them a taste of what they can progress to in podcasting is only a good thing. Will Apple move into this space? Doubtful in 2020, but beyond that, it's a risk entirely predicated on the industry's continued growth. Okay, let's talk discovery. What will Apple do to aid podcast discovery? When we say that there's a podcast discoverability problem, what we really mean is that independents or the smaller shows that are of great quality and hit certain audiences or niches are very hard to discover. Constantly the bigger shows, the more popular shows, and the shows who have an in with people in the podcatchers are featured. And I get that. Why would you not promote the shows most likely to garner new users to your podcast listening app because of their wider appeal or VC cash licensed celebrity name? We never say, however, that blogging had a discoverability problem. Because if you worked hard on your long tail SEO, you could generate traffic. The same with YouTube. You can work hard to understand the algorithms and generate consistently higher traffic if you focus hard on it. Can we do that in podcasting? Sure we can. Well, kind of. The charts have been gamed in the past and loopholes closed. New and noteworthy is the most sporadic part of Apple Podcasts and something that course creators far and wide continually deliver advice upon how to game in the hopes of providing a much needed quick win to the people buying their products. But there's no really affordable way for an independent podcaster to reliably use advertising or marketing to target potential listeners, except perhaps overcast ads. But it shouldn't be pay to play, at least not completely. Discoverability should not be pay to play. Like I said, at least not completely. After all, there's always an element of pay to play. Facebook ads, Google ads, and every other type of targeted advertising works well for any industry that's looking to increase its traffic. But imagine introducing that kind of thing as a standard in podcasting, a space that decries anything that feels less quote-unquote open than we'd like it. And so we're left with recommendations. 
discoverability. But recommendations need work within the apps, and although the transcription services running behind the scenes of Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts right now continue to develop and should theoretically aid in the long-tail episode discovery of podcasts, there's a heck of a long way to go. But Apple is in an interesting position here. Apple is in a position to be able to help with the discovery of new podcasts a little bit easier than most other people. Because after all, it holds the biggest directory of podcasts on the planet and is already masterful at being an expert in giving users what they don't even know they want within the hardware space. So I believe that for Apple, this is low-hanging fruit and something that the team is working on, already working on, and rightly so. But... Any new recommendation engines have got to do more than recommend the same old stuff, no matter how personalised that same old stuff is to me. If you see, for example, that I'm listening to interviews as a choice of audio, and also seem to be researching a trip to London, don't give me the Joe Rogan experience because it's an interview show and an easy one to recommend. Give me your London legacy because instead it crosses over with my interests right now and is probably more timely. And that is the kicker. What do I want to listen to right now? Let's even push a tad further and adopt a little, the Google, a little bit of the Google approach to podcasting by recommending episodes and not shows. 80% of Tim Ferriss' shows, for example, I don't find interesting. But the ones that I do find interesting, wow, I really find interesting. So recommendations, in my opinion, in most apps right now seem kind of lazy. And whilst it's not an easy problem to solve, the sheer mass of listener data that Apple can measure gives them a chance to help people unearth hidden gems and begins to equalise the exposure of shows to the right audience. This could be a very strong brand story for Apple in these tumultuous big podcasting versus indie podcasting times. In conclusion, Apple is Apple. The company's never going to change how it operates, it can't change how it operates in a way that everyone will find pleasing. But look, Apple has got a unique opportunity in podcasting right now. As the dominant technology and dominant consumer platform in the industry for so long, and of course with the world of podcast creators likely to kick back at anything that Apple does regardless of what they do, there's a liberation in the way that Apple can approach the next one, three, five, even ten years in the podcasting industry. There's an opportunity to engage with people in the industry, from the creators to the hosting platforms. And if the recent contentious launch of the Podcast Academy taught anyone anything, it's that the industry has to move forward together in order to really move forward at all. And so Apple should start with revisiting how it helps creators. And to do that, it should speak to those like us, the hosting platforms like Captivate, our competitors, and to everyone who works with thousands of creators every single day to really understand their needs. And it should talk to the creators themselves, the people who walk the beat every day, from the biggest podcasters in the world, down to the starter who is still wondering what this podcasting thing is all about. And from there, there's opportunity for Apple to create a suite of tools and platforms at a relatively low cost to them that will help to drive the industry through the next decade. In fact, Apple might be the only brand in the world that can heavily invest in podcasting without needing to see a return immediately. Get to it, Apple.